We asked Roy how to keep yourself from having bad luck on Friday the 13th, and he gave us the advice we should have seen coming. Don't walk under any ladders, because somebody could drop a tool on you, or you might destabilize the person up top. Other than that, we can't do much about bad luck, but we can help you have a successful pumpkin carving experience if you're planning to get that done this weekend. For example, try this tip from this week's guest, Hugh McMahon, a professional pumpkin carver who makes jack-o'-lanterns for markets, clubs, and Heidi Klum's Halloween party. To scoop out your pumpkin quickly and easily, buy a cheap ladle from the dollar store and break off the handle, then use the cup part as a bowl that fits in your hand. Also on this super spooky episode, Roy tells home renovation horror stories, Lara and I review a devilishly hard new video game, and after stepping on a crack, we go to great lengths to fix Peter Martin's broken back. Not listening to the rest of this episode means seven years bad luck, y'all. I'm your host, Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. It's not Halloween quite yet, but it is October the 13th, so it's about time to carve your pumpkin, and I feel like the spirit is correct today. And in our podcast room, we have with us Hugh McMahon, who is a professional pumpkin carver who has been doing this for more than 40 years and actually just carved the pumpkins for Heidi Klum's party, which I hear is pretty wild every year. I've done it for like six years now. That's amazing. And I haven't That's done crazy. it for this year yet. It'll be around Halloween, I'll carve them. That's so cool. And like, how did you get into this, first of all? Well, I first did it for fun, for family and friends, and I developed this technique of cutting into the skin, which at that time no one was really doing. And so I decided to show it around, and I got some interest the first year, and so I continued to do it. And you seem to have brought some wild tools. What have you brought? And like, what is in your it's kit? It's pretty simple, really. I have a fruit and vegetable knife, which I had someone grind it down even a little thinner. You want something thin so you could take corners. Okay. And then I have an exacto knife. And the exacto knife, you're able to break open into the skin. And then when you have the skin broken open, then you could use a clay carving tool. Mm. And you can scrape it and go into different levels of tones and stuff like that. Kind of like a photographic negative. The deeper you go, you get more light out. And I make a drawing with a water salve and a magic marker that I can easily wipe off after Oh, uh, that's a good idea. Very cool. Yeah, it's very important because if you use a permanent marker, you have to sit there and take forever to, to wipe it off. What kind of things do you carve generally? Like faces? Uh, and- I do a lot of portraits. I have a show coming up at the W Hotel in Union Square where they asked me to do celebrities every year and and I've done this for the last three years and they'll be going up in a week or two and then I have another show at the Chelsea Market, which I've been doing for many years. Oh, I've seen that. So when you get a pumpkin, we have three pumpkins here right now. Two, Lara, thankfully, has hauled out for us. <laughs> so when you come up to a pumpkin, do you come in through the bottom? Do you do anything uh, weird? Yeah, I cut from the bottom, and the reason is that it keeps the shape. When you cut from the top, they'll fall through eventually when it deteriorates. And also, I light up the pumpkin with an electric light bulb with cord, and so it's easier to hide the cord from the bottom. Okay. We have these other pumpkins here. What would you, <laughs> would you like, what, what do you do? I mean, <laughs> well, in my case, is that someone calls and they want a specific subject matter, could be a logo could be a portrait, or sometimes they ask for a scary Halloween kind of face or something. So I do do a sketch on paper a lot and sometimes show that sketch before I do the carving to the client. Okay. And so in some cases, I'll just draw it out with a marker, or other cases, I take a sketch and I trace it down onto the pumpkin. How long does a pumpkin take you to do? Well, it depends on the subject. Uh The portraits can take two, three hours. Okay. If it's a simple, like a cat design, I can do them in half an hour. Wow. Are you ever sad that you work in a medium that just kind of disintegrates over time? I guess there are moments like that if it's a real nice carving. But I do take photographs of them and I have documentation of most of my work that I do. 
Do you ever preserve them? Like, do you do anything to keep them nice? Well, I have experimented with freeze-drying, where you sap the water out of them. But eventually, it still would decay to some extent, and the bugs get to it. Now, they have these pumpkins, which are artificial pumpkins that carve like real pumpkins, and they are made of styrofoam. I can carve at different depths with them and so forth like that. Do you have a favorite pumpkin that you've done in your career? It's hard to say. I have carved some of those giant ones. carved a Record Breaker 1500 in Grand Central Station, where I did a big gorilla. <laughs> called it King Kong. That's cool. <laughs> I like that a lot. I've done so many that there are some that I like better than others mm-hmm. in terms of successful carvings. Yeah. We've noticed that there are some different types of pumpkins. Like I, for example, bought a pumpkin pie pumpkin this weekend, which was a little smaller. And Kevin was at a pumpkin patch and he found some sugar pumpkins, which I've never even heard of. Are there varieties that are better? Well, the small sugar pumpkins and pumpkin pie pumpkins are the ones they use to make pumpkin pie. Now, the bigger ones, once they get over 12 inches or so, those are never eaten. Those are just for decorative purposes. So the majority of the pumpkins you see are just for the decorative market of Halloween. Uh Well, so let's try, let's play with some pumpkins. Yeah. You first should cut a hole and then try to cut out your eyes. Oh, I see. And so after I do a cutout there, you see, then I reach in and just pop it out a little. And you keep that in there. Oh, so it's like a depth effect. (laughs) So much more advanced. (laughs) So did you have a background in sculpting before? Uh, Yeah, I did have an art background. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. And included sculpture, but I I was more of a painter when I was in in high school and college. Do you ever carve any other fruits or just pumpkins? <laughs> I do watermelons. Watermelons. That makes oh, sense. Oh, yeah. For the you summer season. In, the in summer, many yeah. ways, the watermelons are kind of more interesting in that the colors are better. Right. That makes sense. And, uh, oh, yeah. So they look better and stuff like that. Yeah, you have green and uh, But you can take a look at my watermelon as well as pumpkin carving if you go to H. McMahon Pumpkins. H. McMahon Pumpkins. H. McMahon Pumpkins. Okay. With an S. com. Very and cool. uh, people can see my watermelon as well as my pumpkin carving. You don't have hmcmanwatermelons.com? No, it's just pumpkins. <laughs> Do you try to preserve your pumpkins at all? Yes, you can spray them with lemon juice, but they still will deteriorate. You could get maybe an extra day or two out of it. And then also, when they're not being used, you refrigerate them. You put them in a plastic bag and refrigerate them, mm. and they'll last longer. Some of the restaurants I work with do that, and they have been known to go, you know, for a week, week and a half at times. Oh, yeah, especially if you got, like, a big restaurant, freezer, refrigerator situation. Yeah, right, right, that makes sense. refrigeration where it's easy to go in, walk in. I was researching preservation techniques earlier, and two things that I saw were Vaseline. Yeah, if you put Vaseline on the barren areas, I don't do that because it doesn't look good. Okay. Gooey around there. We'll make note of that. (laughs) If you want to make something scarier, you could do that. Ah, there you go. And I think I saw like a bleach spray, like a Yeah, bleach is supposed to preserve it as well. I probably wouldn't do that because it's not good for you. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Are there things you look for in a pumpkin? I bought a couple pumpkins last weekend just to put on our stairs, and two days in, one was leaking. Uh, Yeah, you do want to look for soft spots when you pick out the pumpkin and look healthy. Having a strong stem, if the stem is weak, I generally turn down the pumpkin because I know then there's a rot sitting there. Thank you so much for coming out here and telling us all about this, especially in the middle of your busy season. Thank you for having me. Very cool tips. And uh, I think what we're going to do is try a couple different methods of preserving these pumpkins. And then when we come back next week for our Halloween episode, we'll let you guys know how they fared. How they fared. Thanks again, Hugh. All right. Happy Halloween, too. (laughs) 
So Roy Berenson is here for a special spooky edition of, uh, of Ask Roy. And uh, we were talking a little bit earlier, and you've got some home renovation horror stories. Yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty weird, yeah, i got to say. So what happened? Well, it all starts with my brother, Carl. He's a businessman, and he's actually the president of a manufacturing company. He works in China right now, even as we speak. He's actually in China. Oh. But he's a restless guy, and he's also a licensed contractor in Michigan. He had to take the test and pass that. So he's a licensed... So that runs in the family? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, so he was in this contractor phase, you know, and he bought these old, old houses, very old, like more than 100 years old houses. In Michigan, they're all over the place. Some of them are dirt cheap. He's turning them into rental properties. And he uncovers a newspaper inside the walls, not insulation because it was just like a draft stop, you know, that somebody had put in there. Just one newspaper. Yeah, just one newspaper. And he says to himself, as this thought occurs to him as he's removing this newspaper, oh, how cool, an old newspaper. Wouldn't it be cool if it was the same day as today? Oh, And it was. And it was. (laughs) That is wild. That's crazy. Yeah. Cue the ominous music. I know. We need to have some spooky music in here. So he's doing another house. Oh, this goes on. He buys a second house. Okay. Another old house. And it turns that into a rental property. Finds another newspaper. Oh, what happened to this newspaper? He says the same thing to himself. It would just be too much, he thinks, if it was the same day as he was tearing it out. And it was. And it was. Ooh, that's free. This is real? This really happened? I grilled him about it, and I was like, Carl, that can't possibly be. What are the odds? And he is adamant. No, he's not fooling. Did I mean, he run out of the house? Like, ah! Like, that's what I would have done. Like, it's weird. I don't like that. Well, people do that in Michigan all the time anyway, <laughs> but run out of their houses screaming. Anyway, I mean, that's pretty creepy and weird. But in the house, actually in both houses, he found, like, children's toys. Ugh! But all kinds of stuff, like little tin cowboys and plastic soldiers from the 1960s. That's wild. And jacks. And, yeah, we actually did a little story about weird things that people find in their houses. Find in houses. Yeah, I mean, the weirdest thing, you know, running in the family here was when my grandfather found a gun. A gun? In the wall. What, he was, like, tearing out a bathroom or something? (laughs) And we're like, oh, well, here's a gun. (laughs) Yeah, right. Free gun. (laughs) Yeah, somebody lost their gun in the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like maybe they hid their gun in the wall. That's what I would guess. I suspect, yeah. So, yeah, strange things pop up in the walls. And the same brother, my twin brother, the guy that had this weird, the newspaper occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. You know, to, <laughs> I'd watch to, that movie. Yeah. He lost a hammer. And this, when you're working on a house, even a new house, don't put your tools temporarily in the wall cavity while you're uh, working. So there's a moral to this horror story. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because that's how he lost his favorite framing hammer. He put it against the wall. And what, just drywalled it in there? Yeah, he had entombed his favorite hammer in there. <laughs> that's like the cask of the Amontillado. Isn't that the Edgar Allan Poe story? <laughs> the hammer of the Amontillado. <laughs> the hammer of the, the framing Amontillado. Hammer. Well, so... He entombs his favorite framing hammer in this remodeling job. But interestingly enough, he knows right where it is because his wife, this is like cue the Twilight Zone music, took a picture of him working, just random, just took a picture of him working on this house. And there in the background, you see his favorite framing hammer in the wall cavity. Pre-entombment. Pre-entombment. That's freaky. Yeah, no, it's really kind of creepy and weird, but I'll leave you with this one thought. You know, does the stuff run on the family? You decide. (laughs) So a remodeler, not me, not my brother, is working on my dad's house, hits some metal, stops the sawzall, you know, the iconic demolition remodeling tool, stops the sawzall, reports to my dad, you know, it's weird. I'm hitting metal here. There's clearly a clanging noise. There's something banging. There's no pipes here. There's no wiring. There's no pipes. What could it be? 
So they very carefully remove the drywall and find, perfectly entombed inside the wall of my father's house, an intact gallon can full of turpentine. Ooh, and that could be a real horror story if that lit on fire. Fire hazard. I mean, can you imagine had there been some sort of fire or had that somehow an oily rag or something also in the wall caught fire? Fire investigators find this accelerant. I mean, a gallon of turpentine would easily burn down an entire house. Yeah. Yeah, and there it was, perfectly intact, minding its own business. Minding its own business. Yeah. (laughs) The can was slightly rusty, but intact, not leaking, and they just banged into it with a sawzall and, you know, don't put things in the wall cavity. Definitely don't put a full can of turpentine in your wall cavity because that's if you even have that for whatever reason. Well, you know, or a gun. You hit the gun with the sawzall, it goes off, shoots the turpentine, you have an explosion. I don't know. (laughs) It's like the mousetrap of (laughs) home construction projects. Yeah, Rube Goldberg, you know, (laughs) enter here. Uh, Yeah, so that's a scary story and uh, it has a moral. Yeah, it's pretty weird and creepy and kind of fun. So this segment is called Jackie and Lara Play a Video Game. I don't know about you, Lara, but I am not very good at video games. No, I don't think I've ever really seriously played a video game. That mm, Mario Party. I Mario used to play Party. Mario Party with my brothers. Yeah, I played Super Mario Brothers 3. And today, Alex George has brought us an Xbox, and I'm holding the controller. It's more ergonomic than I thought it would be. It feels Here, try it. I see. Feels Ooh, good. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, it fits feels, into the palm of the hand. Feels good. Nice. Yeah. Are all the buttons the same for every video game? Kinda. So there's basically always one button that does affirmative and then one button that goes back. Okay. There's a lot of buttons on it. Seems like there's too many buttons, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, this will be kind of a test of you know where Cuphead falls and how Microsoft is doing with this to see how intuitive it is when you pick it up. And this video game is Cuphead, which we featured in the magazine. It's brand new. It came out September 29th. We covered it in the magazine because it is hand-drawn, and the guys that made it, Chad and Jared Moldenhauer in Canada, drew the entire thing. That's cool. Every single frame. And they hired several musicians to make all the music. So it's also supposed to be really, really hard. So yeah. let's let's try it out. Do you want to? Sure. Do I'll start. All right, you start. I will say it kind of looks like Steamboat Willie, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. Press any button. Press okay. any button. <laughs> I pushed it. Oh, it's cool. It's got that old timey like spots and lines sort of animation. It kind of looks like the opening scene of that Pinocchio era of Disney animation. That's actually, that was their inspiration. The 1930s. Really? Yeah, 1930s. Particularly Disney and there's another studio that was based in New York City that was, huh. yeah. Once upon a time in a magical place called Inkwell Isle, there were two brothers named Cuphead and Mugman. They lived without a care under the watchful eye of the wise Elder Kettle. One day, the two boys wandered far from home and, despite the Elder Kettle's many warnings, ended up on the wrong side of the tracks and entered the Devil's Casino. <laughs> Inside, Cuphead and Mugman soon found themselves on a winning streak at the craps table. Hot dog, exclaimed King Dice, the casino's sleazy manager. These fellows can't lose. This is going to go on forever. <laughs> nice run, boys, laughed a newcomer. The brothers gasped. It was the casino's owner, the Devil himself. Now, how about we raise the stakes, he suggested with a toothy grin. I feel like I'm reading a children's novel. Yep. Win one more roll and all the loot in my casino is yours, the devil boomed. But if you lose, I'll have your souls. Deal? Oh, good. So if I lose, I'm selling my soul to the devil. Cuphead, blinded by easy riches, nodded and grabbed the dice for a throw. Good gosh, Cuphead, no, cried Mugman, for he understood the danger. But it was too late. Oh, or do we have to save Cuphead? We probably do. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to skip through. I never read all of this stuff. Yeah. This, oh, wait, is, this asking is really long. a lot of the children of today. So, oh, look, here we go. The devil wants us to collect every soul by midnight tomorrow, or he's going to get us. That's dark. 
Come okay, on, mug. Away. Oh, there's a little hourglass man. What do you think so far, Alex George? I'm enjoying it. They make it look like the imperfections, like, you know, in old cartoons, how they have all these little lines that go across and all the little smudges and everything, that they actually put those in there is kind of cool. Here we go. There we go. It's the Elder Kettle. What a fine pickle you boys have gotten yourselves into. Oh, he's cute. He's got a little mustache. I know you don't want to be pawns of the devil, but if you refuse, I can't bear to imagine your fates. You must play along for now. Collect those contracts. And you'd best be ready for some nasty business. Your debtor friends won't be very friendly once you confront them. In fact, I expect (laughs) they'll transform into terrible beasts. Take this potion so they won't hang you out to dry. (laughs) That was to say turn him into like a little Popeye with spinach. That was cute. Oh, I didn't even notice because I was reading. Because you're busy reading for the... This is a reading game. I know. It's just a pod. It's just just actually just a book. Oh, look, I can move around. Wait, what Oh, tutorial. Oh, we got it. Oh, that sounds important. What is the Y button? (laughs) (laughs) Where even is the Y? I don't know either. (laughs) The Y button. Oh, you got to get up there. <laughs> Lara's oh hold for a high jump. This is why we have Alex George here in case we can't beat the tutorial and play the game. <laughs> Tap short for a, <laughs> hold for a high jump. I try, <laughs> guys. I can't get past the tutorial. Uh, oh, you did it! You did it! I see. Okay, I think I'm doing it. Okay, I think I'm doing okay. it. Okay. Oh, you right. have to shoot that thing, guys. I can't do. Oh, you this. did it! You're doing it. Jackie, do you want to take over? <laughs> I will say Conan O'Brien played this on his gamer series he does for the web. Was he also terrible? He died almost immediately. Okay, great. So don't feel bad. It's so funny to watch because if you play a lot of video games, you kind of learn like there's certain rules to how things are. Like hold down a button longer to jump longer or like it's the same in a whole bunch of different games. So it's weird to see somebody who's like hasn't played it that way very much learning all these rules. This is cool. We're in like an overworldy kind of thing. Uh Running, jumping and shooting. It's still got that wavy kind of vibe. Oh, man. Oh, that's one thing to note about. It's not like Mario. You can't jump on something to kill it. Uh, you have to shoot it with a finger yeah, gun. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do. All right, here we go. Use the run away from it. Maybe I'll just shoot stuff. Oh, that's a good idea. Just shoot stuff. That is a good strategy, Jackie. Shoot, 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 just shoot stuff. your gun the whole time. Jackie made it farther Woo! than I did. I just she did the run thing. Run away, run away. Oh, this thing shakes when you die. Yeah. Good job, Jackie. I'm just going to keep just pushing the button. Just shoot. Uh, yeah, that's how I used to do okay at all those fighting games. I'm just a button masher. That is a hard game, y'all. Yeah. It's just like stuff's coming at you. Ooh, that, all directions. Uh, we have both made it about, what, like 15 seconds into this Yeah. Game. Do you feel compelled to keep going? Yeah. Oh, yeah no, I want to play this forever. Yeah. I'm so good at it. Jackie like, and I are like way We're going to be in here for the overly, rest of the- uh, All day. We're just going to be like... <laughs> I mean, it's the thing, like, I haven't played video games in forever, and I want to keep playing this video game until I can actually beat this stupid level. <laughs> oh, no. Out, oh, gosh. Malnourished. And like, I understand how that it? happens to kids in Japan now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. It is so hard. You don't want to play. Just say Jackie so. Jackie just threw the controller. I, dro- I dropped the controller, to be fair. She feels Jackie and Lara are defeated by a video game. <laughs> Honestly. Psychologically and emotionally. Oh, God. Oh, you can jump? I didn't know these guys could jump. Well, they can jump. So I feel like we should maybe just describe what we're being attacked by, which is literally everything. There's flower seed men that fall from the trees. There's a terrible tulip that shoots. No, that's a mushroom. No, well, there's that terrible tulip that shoots jelly beans. And Uh, then there's a mushroom that shoots whatever that is, a little puff of something. I don't know. There's just so many different things that are terrible. All right. I give up on this game. 
It's great. It's a wonderful game. Everybody should Level play it. One. Just like, since we started timing, it's only been nine minutes. It's been nine minutes. We've made it to the exact same point in the game, which is about a third of the way every single time. But I want to keep playing it, so. I know. Good game. This has been Jackie and Lara Play a Video Game. It took us a while to get the computer going today for your favorite segment because we've had some bad luck. Bad luck. And why do we have bad luck? Because today we have your favorite segment, Black Cat Facts. Black Cat Facts. Black Cat Facts. Oh, no. For Friday the 13th. I think I was cursed by a black cat once. Or like a hex was put on me. I think I was cursed by one right now with this computer. What happened to you? I was leaving to go on a road trip with a friend. We were going to a wedding and we went outside to load up the car and a black cat, I swear, appeared out of nowhere. I don't know where it came that's from. How, that's where they come from. And it walked a full circle around me and then walked off into the night. And on the trip, we stopped at the Grand Canyon, and my friend came very close to falling in. Whoa. Wow. Like, he tripped on the edge, and in the moment, it wasn't scary because it happened so fast. But we were driving home, and he was like, I really almost fell in. And I was like, I know. I thought about how terrible it would be to have to tell your family. Oh, my God. But he <laughs> didn't fall in, so maybe the black cat protected him. There you go. No. I saw this cat. And on that note, nobody really knows why black cats are considered bad luck or evil or whatever. But some people think that it comes from Celtic mythology because there was a thing called, not joking, the cat Sith, like (laughs) in Star Wars. And uh, the cat Sith was said to haunt the Scottish Highlands. And if somebody died and the cat Sith came and passed over its body before it was buried... It would snatch their soul up. That's what it was trying to do when it well, that's circle cat, around that's me. Well, you do, weren't yeah. dead. So um, that's where the tradition of people having like overnight wakes came from because they needed to protect the body from the cat Sith. Are they sure it wasn't grave robbers dressed up as a cat? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that people think it might be from is in Norse mythology. Freya, the goddess of love and fertility, had a chariot that was pulled by two black cats. And after those cats served her for seven years, their reward would be to turn into witches. (laughs) Wow. There you go. And the earliest record of black cats being evil in the Christian Western tradition was Pope Gregory the Ninth wrote about them as being related to Satan in some way. <laughs> and throughout the Dark Ages, it was popular to burn black cats on bonfires Aww. on certain holidays, including Easter Sunday and the Feast of St. John. Man. Yeah. Times were rough back then. Even Seriously, there's a rough. cat-burning bonfire to celebrate Easter. That's why they curse you. They're like, you guys suck. That sucked. Yeah. yeah. That's true. But in a lot of other cultures, black cats are considered lucky. In Japan, they think that single women who own black cats will attract more suitors. In Great Britain, parts of Great Britain, black cats given as a wedding present will bring good luck and happiness to a bride. British sailors believed black cats were good luck, but pirates had really strange rules about black cats, where if a black cat was walking toward you, it was bad luck. If it was walking away from you, it was good luck. And if it got on your ship and then jumped off the ship, it meant your ship was going to sink. 
I thought this was all on the ship, and I was like, how much space is there for a cat to be only walking away from you? No, I think it, <laughs> and then if yeah. it turns around and comes back, yeah. you're yeah, like, ah, no, <laughs> ah, no. <laughs> Should I say? Should I go? Yeah, so that's that. And then the spookiest black cat fact Ooh. that I have, and this is dedicated to my sixth grade social studies teacher who was the first person who told me this story, and then I looked it up today, and it's quote-unquote true, or it's out there in the world. But Quote-unquote true. You can't tell with anything anymore. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> as, true, as true no, as no, anything no, 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 else. No, 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 You'll get why in a second. So there is said to be a black cat that haunts the basement of the Capitol building, oh. um, and it's said it haunts the area around the crypt where George Washington was supposed to be buried because in the Capitol there was supposed to be a tomb to George Washington, which is creepy enough in itself. Mm-hmm. And the legend goes back all the way to the 1800s. So basically what happens is it's usually a guard who's walking alone and they see a black cat in the hallway and they're like, oh, like, look, a cute cat. And the cat starts walking towards them. Its eyes turn red. And as it walks toward them, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it's the size of like a tiger or a lion or a bear. And then it leaps at the person and vanishes. And the cat is said to be an omen of national tragedies that are going to come within the next few days. The cat is said to have appeared a few days before the deaths of Lincoln, FDR, and JFK, and just before the 1929 stock market crash. And in the years 1862 and 1898, twice, shots were fired in the basement of the Capitol building because guards tried to shoot at the demon cat. That's Obviously, wild. it vanished. Did it come around before 9-11? This seems like a very selective definition of tragedy. But it gets busy. You know, I mean, it's got other things on its calendar. Right. Well, so I'm looking these up on like, do you see ghost blogs? (laughs) 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 Who knows what's legit? But some of them said that it happened before 9-11. And then another one I read said that it stopped happening after the attempted assassination of Reagan didn't result in his death. It says that the cat vanished after that. Either that or modern recording devices. One or the other. Yeah. So watch out for black cats, or maybe don't. Or maybe give one as a wedding gift. I think watch out. So since today is our special Friday the 13th episode, we've been talking about superstitions such as step on a crack, you break your mom's back. And that usually happens on sidewalks where there's a lot of cracks. So we thought we would ask Roy, how do you fix a crack in your sidewalk so this isn't a problem? Well, you know, cracks on a concrete sidewalk are always a problem. There really isn't a good fix, Jackie, to to, to cracked sidewalks. Normally it's due to settling. Mm -hmm. The concrete will actually, in most cases, either bend downward or bend upward. And concrete by itself is not particularly strong that way. It's a compression material. It takes compression well, but it doesn't take tension forces well. Mm -hmm. So pressing it together, it's very strong. Kind of pulling it apart, bending, not so strong. So when that happens, you get a crack. Yeah, you can fill it in. Lots of materials. You know, you could take a wire brush, take a painter's tool or a putty knife or something, get the weeds and dirt and junk out of there. And there's any number of patching, caulk-like things that you can put in there that will help prevent weed formation and dirt and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really fix the crack. It's kind of like a Band-Aid. Yeah, it's a Band-Aid. That's exactly what it is. It's a Band-Aid. And as the sidewalk continues to move, and it will move, that's why it cracked in the first place, as it continues to move, that repair material is also going to work. And the concrete is going to work against the repair material. The repair material is more flexible than the concrete, so that helps, but only so much. And you never really get a perfectly good bond. And most homeowners just go to the hardware store or home center, 
They'll get this tube of material, put it in their caulk gun. Even if they bother brushing out the dirt and weeds, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, half the time they don't even do that. Just go down it, you know, ooze this junk in there, wipe it off with their finger, call it a day. You know, you'll get a season out of that before it looks lousy again. Before somebody steps on that crack and breaks their mama's back. Yeah, then their back is shot. You have a lawsuit. <laughs> you know, you're calling your insurance company. I mean, if the crack is severe, you got to saw out that section of sidewalk, really, and just pour a new pad. We call it a pad. Okay. Do a better job of compacting the sub-base underneath the concrete. That's key. Okay. And how do you do that? Depends on how big a job it is. You can buy a hand tamper. Okay. And you just very thoroughly hand tamp. You can buy, even if the soil is weak and it doesn't seem to compact very well, you can buy some crushed stone. Don't get gravel, which is rounded, natural stuff. Crushed stone knits together, compacts, packs very well. So you just pack it, pack it, pack it, put some more stone in there, pack it some more. Really pack the daylights out of it. (laughs) You drive the stone into the dirt, actually, you know, and, and then leave yourself like a layer of inch or more of just compacted stone at that point. That's a good, strong sub base. The tiny pores will facilitate water movement. Water will get in. It always mm-hmm. gets in, but it'll also facilitate the movement out of the sub base. And then you pour your concrete following the time-tested means of proper mix. Don't mix too much water. A slightly stiffer mix is better than a slightly loose mix. Put it in there. Float and finish. They call it float the concrete. What does that mean? Well, float means it's part of the finishing process where you want to push the stones in the concrete called aggregate down. In so doing, something called cement paste comes to the surface, and that's what gives you the smooth finish. Mm -hmm. On concrete, you don't want to see the stones. You want to see the smooth gray finish, and that process is known as floating. And if you've mixed the concrete correctly and you're a little bit experienced, you shouldn't be getting like a layer of water on top. That's bad. Mm -hmm. It leaves you a weakened layer. You have to actually skim that water off. So you float, and in some cases you can trowel finish or you float finish the concrete. They have a tool called an edger. Make a nice, neat edge around your new replacement pad and... Keep it damp for several days. If it's a public sidewalk, obviously, you have to block it off from people stepping in it and walking And those around. punk kids trying to write their initials. Yeah, yeah, and your neighbor walking his dog in there. Next thing you've got doggy footprints and <laughs> stuff in there, you know. Anyway, so that's it. That's going to give you a trouble-free piece of concrete. No cracks, no broken backs, no lawsuits, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sidewalk, concrete does have a tendency to crack. You know, you do everything you can beforehand to prevent that from happening. And part of that is just familiarize yourself with the material and how to, it's called placed, by the way. You're supposed to place concrete. You don't pour it. Oh. Yeah. If concrete actually pours, it's too loose, too much water. Oh, that's a great tip. So what, you just use a trowel or something? Well, you shovel it into the form. You use what's called a number two shovel. It's got a square nose, not a round nose. And you shovel it into the form and use the shovel to consolidate the concrete, work it against the form. Here's another thing two people mess with concrete. They don't pay attention to the corners, and the corners will often, you'll see this crack going across the corner because mm-hmm. the corner is weak. I've seen that a lot. Yeah. Well, it's very common. So the base, remember we were talking before about packing that base, that sub-base, or mm-hmm. also called the substrata. Try to make that substrata a little bit wider than the concrete is going to be and pack outside the area. Yeah, so the weak spot's not the corner, it's way out past the corner. Correct, correct. That's yeah. exactly right. you got a future in civil engineering. I do. <laughs> uh, so, you know, no weak corners, and that should be your goal. Once you get it in the form, you start consolidating. Then it becomes a whole lot easier to work. Once you work it in there with the shovel, then you strike off the excess with a board, then you float it, finish it, and you're done. 
So we just talked to Roy about how to prevent cracks from breaking your mama's back. Uh, but now <laughs> we want to talk to Peter and Kevin about how to fix your back if you did step on a crack. Because everyone in this office has back problems. True. <laughs> yeah. Mine have actually been a little better lately. But, Kevin, you're always in trouble, right? Yeah. I have a slightly bulging disc, which basically just means that I have, like, soreness and occasional weird feelings in one of my legs that's pretty managed oh. by stretching. Yeah. but That sounds terrible. It's, like, annoying. It's like Chinese water torture. It's like having a drip of water on your head is not that bad when it happens over and over slowly at weird intervals. It's terrible. That's right. Kind of how I feel. And it's pretty permanent, right? There's no real solution to it. Yeah, there's no real solution. They said that if I was willing to go get an epidural injection of like steroids, which yeah. I don't like just because it sounds like I'm pregnant. Also, <laughs> epidural, and I think strong. any kind of spinal cord injection sucks is what I've heard. Oh, like I mean, I, I think they give you a local at first and it oh, that's good. doesn't really hurt. But anyway, but they were like, that'll wear off after a few years. But for most people, that'll like make it fine. But I'm just like, if I don't have to get a needle stuck right. in my spinal column, <laughs> I prefer not best. to. Ideally, so, right, yeah. So stretching it is. Or, or maybe this thing. thing. So what do we got? So the thing we have is called the Caselia. It is sort of an at-home chiropractor. It's a bunch of pads that you put on the ground. There's like a little face horseshoe, like if you get a massage. There's two things for your shoulders. There's a thing for your belly, or it's supposed to be under your pelvis, I guess. Okay. And then a thing for your ankles. But so you set it up, and you just lie down on your face. It looks like a little obstacle course on the ground. It's like, <laughs> it looks like a yoga mat with Wait, an it's obstacle course on it. It's modern art, for sure. Yeah. But so you set it up yourself. You know, you measure the distance between your neck and the front of your hips, pretty much. Yeah. And Kevin and I both tried it out today. Problem is, we can't give a full assessment of how well it works because you're supposed to use it for four to six months, 20 minutes a day. Oh, yeah. Well, so you've tried it once. So you set your alarm, you just lay there for 20 minutes. Yeah. That sounds relaxing, at least. I mean, I think I fell asleep. Yeah, I definitely dozed off a little bit. So what does it do? Does it, like, remove the effect of gravity on your back or something? It takes advantage of gravity, and gravity is supposedly applying the pressure. If you went to a chiropractor and they did an adjustment or whatever, they're manipulating your spine. But here, gravity is manipulating your spine. But they say it can treat lower back pain. Regular back pain. I think one thing that I would be excited about, we sit at our computers all day, and I always get very self-conscious that my shoulders are drawn forward. And so every time I think about it, I try to force them back and probably look very weird. But it says it'll fix that, too. Oh, that sounds good. That seems good. Realigns your neck so you don't have neck pain. Kind of keeps your head back instead of the way people's necks start to jut out a lot when they get older. I have that problem. I have the little turtleneck. So this is probably good for all of us. So the biggest part is for your hips because you put this thing, it's probably six inches tall. It's a foam pad. You basically put your belly over the end of it so you're not on your stomach and then put it right on the front of your hip bones. Your knees are on the floor. Your chest is on the floor too. So basically, your so you have a big butt, arch. Yeah, your, yeah. your, your, oh, is, your back is very arched. Your butt's just sticking right up in the air. So it's not a comfortable thing to do at work, I noticed. <laughs> I hope nobody came in while I was doing it. <laughs> but I don't know. I fell asleep, felt good. I don't think that's the point of it. I could see how it would help push your shoulders back because you do feel the pressure on your shoulders. I did. Well, can I try it? Yeah. All right. Okay, so your knees are down. That's good. And then I don't know if it's different for a woman, but like my chest was kind of touching the ground. You needed to get to a point where you are comfortable and could lie there for 20 minutes. And if your back is tense the whole time, it's not going to work. It's pretty relaxing. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's the same face thing as a massage table. So you get pretty comfortable there. You also have to, I had to hang out in here for five, ten minutes waiting for the lines to go away. Oh, actually, I can feel my back relax right now. Hey, Jackie feels her back relax less than a minute in. Yeah, that sounds good. So it's $395. Ooh. Whoa. Which I guess if you're doing it yourself, not going to the chiropractor. Yeah. How many visits does it take for that to pay itself off? Depending on your insurance, it could be 150 bucks per visit. That's or true. probably more to a chiropractor. And the other thing about chiropractors is. They're uh, not real. 
think. Yeah, some people don't believe in it. I feel very similarly about that. No offense. If you're a chiropractor, call in and convince us. We would love to That'd know. That'd be great. But some insurance companies will only pay for a certain number of visits. Oh. So then once you're out of your visits, then you're SOL. Well, because of my skepticism, I found this story that Catherine Ellison wrote for the New York Times a couple years ago when she needed to go to a chiropractor, and she was equally skeptical. Until 1987, there was an American Metal Association committee called the Committee on Quackery, <laughs> and they labeled chiropractors an unscientific cult. They didn't call it quackery? That's yeah, true. It would have been better. They like just quackery. Come on. That'd be great. Just quackery or not quackery I mean, yeah. stamp. Unscientific cult is still pretty bad. Right. But so, and then in 1987, I guess it says a federal judge ruled that the Medical Association had tried to destroy the chiropractic profession. And so they got rid of their quackery panel. But everybody that she talked to that was a chiropractor, of course, said chiropractic was good. And then she talked to the Cochrane Collaboration, which was a group of supposedly unbiased researchers. And they found that chiropractic intervention, it says, slightly improved pain and disability in the short term, pain in the medium term. But then it says, they pointedly added that there was no evidence that chiropractors provide a clinically meaningful difference for pain or disability for lower back pain when compared to other interventions. Well, I was going to say, I think physical therapists are miracle workers. And if you get a good one, I mean, God, the things they can do. And so I'm like, what do we even need chiropractors for? Just go to a physical therapist. Yeah. So would you guys buy this? I need a lot more convincing. Okay. And Kevin, what do you think? It's expensive and it's hard when it's just a bunch of foam blocks because it just seems like, couldn't I make that myself? But the bigger thing is that, so my physical therapist, one of the things that really helped my back is doing kind of arched back stretches like the cobra pose Mm -hmm. in yoga. And actually, if you do it where you move, where you flatten and then raise an arch and flatten and raise an arch, that really helps me from having like phantom sensations in my leg or whatever they are. And this actually puts the back into a similar position. So I'm kind of like the thing that seems like it would help me the most about this is something that I already do from stretches anyway. Anyway, right. Those are free. Yeah. And stretching, it turns out, is free. Well, okay. So that sounds like neither one of you guys would buy this. I think you could make this, though. That's true. If you're a popular mechanics kind of person who would make this. I mean, you could probably buy $20 of foam. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) You buy $20 worth of foam and make it. So maybe, you know, if you're thinking about it, look it up online and uh, buy $20 (laughs) worth of foam. Or or buy it, you know. Or buy it. See what you think. Yeah. Yeah. That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. While you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks of all sorts, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics Magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.